You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, you can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here, hanging out with Fernando. Hey, Ben. Hey, Fernando and Travis Irvine. He's back from Ohio, and he's in studio today. Hello, boys. Wow, you're totally, that's such a normal voice for you. In no way did you just put on a radio voice. Hey, it's great to be here. <laughs> <laughs> we have a great episode for you today. A little bit later on, we speak with The Last Prisoner Project's Dante West. So check out that conversation. Dante is just a fantastic man, mm-hmm. uh, formerly incarcerated for weed crimes, and now he's a massive civil rights advocate and uh, criminal justice reform advocate, and he is doing the Lord's work. We'll also talk a little bit about one thing that is in the infrastructure bill, which might hinder everyone who loves to drink and drive out there. Uh-oh. Your days may be numbered uh. if you like to get lit and hit the streets. And we'll also talk a little bit about pharmaceuticals and a whole bunch of other stuff, including the death penalty. But before we get to that, let's talk about the biggest Dare I say stinkiest story of the week? <laughs> Whoa. Is it true? Is it not true? I don't even care because I just want it to be so it is. Isn't that how it works nowadays? Yes. Camilla. Now, Camilla, she's this she's this gal from England, right? Yes. She's married to uh, Prince Charles. And she was the one, Princess Diana, Pr- Prince Charles looked at Princess Diana. He's like, get out of here. Mm-hmm. I got to make room for Camilla. Yes. <laughs> so sexy. He, so sexy stuff. <laughs> so we had this climate summit in Glasgow. Now, the other story we did last week was Joe Biden fell asleep, right? Um, which <laughs> that will, it, it is boring, you know, <laughs> and he is old. Yes. Right. But now this story comes out and apparently... When Joe Biden wasn't sleeping, he was farting. So this is one of the strangest (laughs) things I've ever heard. Um, I mean, not really, but this is kind of the equivalent in some ways of George W. Bush choking on a pretzel. Mm. Oh, George. This is kind of an embarrassing story. Sure, sure. Uh, of course, if you're Joe Biden, whoever smelt it, dealt it, <laughs> and there is no uh, response yet from the administration, if he yeah. has claimed it. <laughs> so they were attending this summit, and Camilla says that uh, Joe Biden, he let out a, a roarious fart. Almost, I mean, <laughs> An aurorious? Aurorious. An aurorious. She, she says, quote, it was long and loud and impossible to ignore. Oh, no, know. she is not talking about me. Oh. Um, she also, the source also said, again, this is from a source, and I'm reading the Daily Mail. So we do grains of salt here as well. <laughs> but it's just a fun fart story, so we cover it. Um, apparently, Camilla hasn't stopped talking about it. Mm. And I do, I mean, what do you think? If I hear the fart of a sitting president, yes. I'm still in the presence of the fecal matter <laughs> of the most powerful person in the world. Isn't that something cool? 
Yes, I mean, of course. I mean, first of all, uh, Camilla always needs something else to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I can't imagine it's like too fun. Right, hanging out with Charles all day. So yeah. that's why she just kind of keeps bringing up. How do you remember when the president farted? Oh. <laughs> I think I think she's trying to stay on point. They were at a climate summit. Mm-hmm. We know that uh, you know methane gas is one of the biggest producers oh. of you know carbon in the atmosphere. She was staying on brand, and Joe Biden is farting like one of these cows. Absolutely. No, you know, I we need to start regulating joe biden's ass (laughs) yep that's true apparently this isn't the first time that biden has that that he's faced these kinds of claims i mean this isn't he's not these are not misdemeanors here he's not felonious this is not an andrew (laughs) cuomo situation but this is fartgate and that's what it's been called fartgate oh my gosh fartgate apparently in 2020 um well again we don't know if this is true or not but there are some suspicious noises that were occurring during a live stream exchange with pennsylvania governor tom wolf yes i think that joe Huh? He might just got to he got to get it out. <laughs> and maybe if Trump would have just farted a little bit more, he wouldn't have had to spew so much shit out of his mouth. So maybe it's a good thing that Joe, you know what? He's not so full of hot air because he farts all the time. You're not scientifically wrong, Ben. When you hold in your farts, they're reabsorbed through your bloodstream and yeah. you burp them out. So you right? 100 percent Ben. Oh, no. I believe it. Fernando's a scientist, so he would know. <laughs> he would know. But this really obviously it doesn't it does not really matter. The only thing right. I will say that's mildly sad is that it's the biggest story out of the climate mm, Right, exactly. Like Joe <laughs> yeah. fell asleep and then Joe farted. Yes. And it's like, what are we doing as a nation? Uh, right. Uh, right. They got to look at yeah, reducing coal plant emissions, reducing cow fart emissions. Uh, and now we got to worry about the president's ass. Joe farts. He farts. Cow, cow farts. Joe farts. And if he is smart, you fart. I fart. Vote Joe. Oh, yes. yeah. This should carry him to the, another term. <laughs> if he does it during a debate, if yeah. he does it during the State of the Union. Yep. Uh, oh, my God. Also, the nice thing is, if it is a Republican, we'll, we'll have uh you know, right now, I guess he doesn't have any Republicans, right? Because the, the Dems have the House and the Senate, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So, so he can't fart on any enemies. No. But you know, it would be kind of fun if he still did. Yeah. Let a little fart out. Because then Nancy, you know, she's always there. She's at her papers. She used to, she tore it up after Trump talked, but That's she could use right. him to wave the fart away. Oh. There's a lot of things she could do. That's very fun. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Chuck Schumer could just be like, fart again, Joe. I love it. <laughs> It might be used as a musk, almost a cologne type for the senators. Imagine if he would have, during that presidential debate with uh, with President Trump, if he would have just immediately just like ripped one, just long. Right. One. What's more American than that? Exactly. We are a trash people. <laughs> yes. And we deserve a 40 president. Yes. Trump interrupts him. And then also, oh, it's like, when, it's a fart off. 2024, you know what his campaign is? Fart more years. Fart, fart more years. Instead of four more years. Thinking, oh. thinking, y'all. <laughs> All right, let's move on from Fartgate to something far more serious. <laughs> this article comes from the state. The state is a, it's a it was pretty cool. I kind of got to look at the website. It's a local newspaper in South Carolina, and we will be in South Carolina next weekend or this weekend. One of these weekends. I can't wait. The article is absolutely harrowing. We talk about the death penalty, and obviously we discuss it from the perspective of the people who are being killed by the state. And obviously our empathy and sympathy goes uh, you know, out to so many of those people who were innocent on death row that met their maker in one of the worst ways possible. However, it doesn't just affect the people who are 
being killed. Mm -hmm. It also affects the people who are doing the executing. I highly recommend reading this article. Uh, the title is They Executed People for the State of South Carolina. For some, it nearly destroyed them. Uh, there's one fellow that they discussed, Craig Baxley, talking about how after an execution, he had to go to the bathroom. He ripped off his gloves and he prayed to Jesus. And he was like, can you ever forgive me? All of this stuff. It traumatized him for years. And there's another guy named Jim Harvey. Now, Jim Harvey, interestingly enough, his wife was a nurse, and this was a town secret, like or a family secret rather. Nobody knew that he was the town executioner wow. because his wife, I mean, it was like a it was like a burden. It was a shame, you know? Sure. And on Sundays, Harvey used to just go to church and pass out community. He was just like a regular guy. And then maybe that week he had to go kill a condemned man. So it really was something that he says it gave him nightmares and uh it completely changed his life he used to be a jovial person he's no longer jovial whatsoever and uh, he actually as a matter of fact has come out and said he does not support the death penalty this is according to jim harvey who oversaw 13 executions when he was warden at the broad river correctional institution Today, when people ask me, do you support the death penalty? My honest answer is usually no, because there's so much inequity in who gets the death penalty and who doesn't. This isn't exactly somebody who is like, air quotes, woke. This is a former <laughs> warden of a prison. Right. So I feel like as far as ending state-sanctioned murder, if we can get wardens on board, yeah. then that's a good step forward, don't you think? Yes. I mean, we've talked on the show plenty of, I mean, if you're a progressive who cares about criminal justice reform, if you're a civil libertarian who cares about people's rights, if you're a fiscal conservative who cares about the budgets and the taxpayer dollars that goes into the death penalty, if we can get actual state employees who have had to perform these services who are also against the death penalty. I I just don't think there's any reason to keep the death penalty anymore. I mean, I agree. State by state, more and more states every year are uh, ending the death penalty. And this is another great reason why. Absolutely. What sticks out to me about this story is that the, you know, it creates two victims. You know, the, the first victim yep. is the person who died who may have been innocent. We don't maybe know. Maybe innocent, you know, maybe, maybe guilty in, again. Whatever. A life sentence is a death sentence. And many yeah. times they just die of air quotes, natural causes because the damn process is so long. But right. you know who who we're seeing does get a life sentence? The executioner. The person who just showed up who to work. To do it. And, uh, you know, it's we're not talking about they're usually not the highest up on the ladder. They're usually it's just a job. You yeah. know, it's like. Well, this is an interesting quote, again, from this article. Highly recommend you read it uh, when it comes to Craig Baxley. Um, he said after the first execution that he I committed, is that the right word? Enacted? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, he went in again to the bathroom. He started reciting out loud, forgive us our trespasses, deliver us from evil. He was never the same person. He says nightmares replaced his previously sound sleep. He said he had painful knots in his stomach. Anytime he became nervous, his hands would drip with sweat. Um, others noticed they used to say, quote, you just completely changed, man. He remembers people starting to say you were just this jovial, funny guy. And obviously after, you know, after seeing people's final moments and being the reason that they are dead or not the reason per se, but you're I mean, you're it. You're, you're the final. You're, you're the, the nail cause in the effect. coffin. You're yeah. literally the nail yeah. in the coffin. Yeah. And and again, the, the drugs that he's talk, they're talking about injecting, even those are harder to get. Even uh, a lot of states have stopped doing that because those drugs are so hard to get. Yes. Um, it's just, you know, your heart goes out to guys like this who, again, they're just doing a job over at the local prison. And, you know, shit rolls downhill. Oh, yeah. So as you said, I mean, other than the situation with the warden, I have a 
I'm fairly certain the buck gets passed yeah. to whoever happens, uh, you to know, be to, to be day. there. Yeah. And of course, they also mentioned how you can't volunteer mm. uh, to to be the executioner. It's not a volunteer position. You just be told because they said that we don't want people who, who want to who do want it. To yeah, do right, it. right. Um, those people I don't, go become cops. No, no, they, they, I, I, maybe they should be doing it. How? Uh, what, <laughs> what really is poignant to me is how this is the same as someone who went to war. Like what you're hearing from it, like an Afghanistan veteran or something, they go yeah. and they come back changed. Yeah, you know, it's the it's you're putting you basically giving these people PTSD. The massive, you know. Yeah, yeah uh, this is according to uh, the article again. Baxley, Craig Baxley, um, he talks about that just that. He says, "I was a Marine, but what I'm saying is, it doesn't matter how tough you think you are. I was the carrier out of state-assisted homicide. I always feel like I walk around with this. Obviously, talking about contemplating suicide and um, the, the unbelievable uh, strain on the family mm -hmm. as well. Of course, I can't imagine coming home after a day where you end somebody's life and." hugging your kids and, and seeing your wife and just pretending like, oh, the steak is good. It's got to it's got to be tough. And I'm sure alcohol abuse is involved. I'm sure drug abuse uh, heightens in these situations. Obviously, yeah. And uh, so anyway, just check out that article. I think it's I think it's really, really good. And just another reason why the death penalty needs to be done away with. It just causes, believe it or not, <gasps> immense amount of pain and agony and sadness. And again, for what do the families even feel you know what do you guys think if if somebody commits and obviously if somebody would kill somebody that i would love i would have immense amounts of anger right right obviously would, do you guys feel as if the death penalty would kind of alleviate that at all or do you think it's just kind of like well it's already gone my my son my daughter my parents my brother my friend they're never coming back so what does another death does it change anything right i mean Fortunately, I, I've obviously never been in that situation. I you are alive. You are not currently dead. Right, and, and all my family members are alive. The people I dearly love are alive. Um, obviously, you hear about that initial anger. You know, often you want to just do it yourself, uh, is what I've heard from people who have gone through this. Um, but, you know, then there's something else to be said about forgiveness. I mean, um, Martin Luther King III forgave um, the, the man who allegedly Ray. Yeah, uh, went to prison and, and forgave him. Um, I think there's something bigger. And again, what our system mm. is supposed to do is rehabilitate. Mm -hmm. And in the cases of guys who should not be out on the street again, you know, they need to still learn their lesson before they die. That's and, a good point. And if you're if you're kind of rushing that process in a a uh, a death penalty type situation, the case. expediting that it, it doesn't necessarily uh, do anything that's um, that you could consider justice. Yeah. I'm going to come at it from two points uh, here. For me, you know, I was raised Christian, so eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, we'd all be blind and toothless. It right. doesn't it doesn't right. work. It doesn't work out if right. we kill everybody. And um, I don't want to go into too much detail, but I was a victim of a very serious crime. Yes. And uh, when that happened to me, I seeing the other person go to jail, seeing the other person suffer didn't make me feel any better. It, really? It, it did not. It truly did not. It, it was just another person suffering. It was this, a, was this was an assault. Obviously, we won't go into it. Yeah, it was yeah. a yeah. It was just it, it was another person suffering. So I had suffered. Now this person suffering. This person's family's going to suffer. It just con you know the the cycle continues. Mm -hmm. So it is. Uh, it's one of those questions. And of course, in the time 
it's hard politically because you look at something like, you know, 1988, Willie Horton, mm -hmm. uh, the Willie Horton ad when Dukakis was running against George H.W. Bush. Uh, what happened there in Massachusetts? They had a weekend. You could go out for the weekend to, to, to work and things like that. It's kind of a release program. And then the prisoners were supposed to come back. Willie Horton ended up committing a rape and a murder and uh, basically set civil rights and criminal justice reform back right. quite a bit, or at the very least, um, the ad campaign that came out and the politicization uh, that came out after, it can never be uh, understated how impactful that was. And of course, that's why or helped George H.W. Bush take the White House. So from a political perspective, if you're a politician and you go into a place and you say, I'm against the death penalty, I mean, is there any... Can, is, is that a political winner at all? Mm. Right. I mean, Democrats get accused all the time uh, being soft on crime, right? Well, even right. though they're you know, not, because right. there is no soft on crime in right. this country. It does right. not no. exist. <clears throat> that's, that's, why, that's why Bill Clinton was um, <laughs> exactly. compelled to sign the 94 crime bill, right? The Democrats are being accused of being soft on crime, so the Democrats got on board. That's where three strikes comes from, or, you know, soon after. Ten years later, you got the war on terror. Democrats don't want to go to war. They don't want to go to Iraq. Then they're accused of being soft on terror. So it it, right. it certainly is a political mm -hmm. uh, epidemic as much as uh, obviously a real epidemic that impacts lives every week. Even the libertarian, you know, right with, you know, Ron Paul or Rand Paul and, you know, that that kind of Freedom Caucus group. If there was supposed to be any kind of Venn diagram with a progressive left, it should be the death penalty and be against the death penalty. Right. But those people, that's why they're libertarian mm -hmm. in uh, in name only. I guess they're linos. <laughs> linos. <laughs> they're linos. Libertarians in name only. Uh, of course, real libertarian. The party can't exist because if you're a true libertarian, you don't believe in parties. So it's kind of a kind of reverses kind of cancels itself out there. But there really aren't many politicians who I think are right on this issue. And I think the mm -hmm. ones that might be against the death penalty um, don't speak up because, again, it's such an easy it's just such an easy slam ad because, yes, right. when somebody is raped, when somebody is murdered, the person who did that fucking sucks and they're horrible. And if you say, well, I don't think they should be killed, that's going to be a slam ad against you. Right. And the person who is like, I think we should put him in the town square and quarter him. It's going to lead to applause hmm. and it's probably going to lead to more votes. So politically, I just wonder if this if this must be solved on the court level. This has to be a judicial situation, I think. Judicial and state by state. I mean, yeah. uh, when, when I ran for governor of Ohio in, in 2018, actually, let's give credit where credit is due. I do not like uh, former Governor John Kasich of Ohio, but he stopped uh, executing people. Okay. Um, and uh, and since then, uh, Ohio, um, I believe, uh, has been very limited, at least in the executions, because again, the logistical problems of getting these drug cocktails that kill people. Mm -hmm. And again, we're surrounded by states. Um, that have ended the death penalty already. So it, maybe it's almost one of those quiet criminal justice reforms where, you know, maybe compassionate conservatives or progressive lefts, um, they can both get on board and, again, just state by state, just kind of stop killing people. Yeah, I don't understand. I think there are so many different, there are so many different avenues as to explain why a state shouldn't execute people. I could see it as a massive political winner. But again, in this world, Back in the day, we had the luxury of 30-second ads. Wow. <laughs> Nowadays, it seems like a full-length movie yes. because now it's just yeah. a meme. Yeah. Now it's just a picture of a perp and then them with the name of the politician that's against that's against maximum sentence or whatever it might be or death penalty for that person. And then, of course, that person is demonized and perhaps loses you know, some kind of political race.
And just lastly on this, uh, Craig Baxley makes a solid point. We talked about how it's it's not a volunteer process, right? Mm-hmm. But if you are asked to do it, if you say no, you are fired. Mm. Uh, so that, it's then, sort uh, of a volunteer. <laughs> wow. It's, it's, you know, again, it's, uh, it's just so it, it's such a difficult situation to put somebody in. And uh, it just you know, reminds us as well of how economically fragile everyone is as well. Yeah. So the idea, it's like, I can't right. lose this job. I got a family. It's like, you got to kill someone. You're going to kill 13 people. Ugh. I can't lose this job. Like, a, you know, if you work at Taco Bell, maybe, uh, you know. <laughs> I think if you, you work at Taco Bell, you want to kill people. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah well, or at true. least, you know, inspire them to fart like Joe Biden. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, that's what, uh, anyway, Baxley, yeah, he said, if I didn't say I would do it, I wouldn't have gotten promoted. So how do you say it's volunteer wow. when you won't get the job? Right. Wow. And I was also compelled what he, he said that he he was the carrier of state assisted homicide. And that, Absolutely. and that term is a very important term. State assisted homicide. Yep. Do oh you gosh. want your taxpayer dollars to go to that? Dude, this is so gross. So another story from Baxley. Um, at one point during a lethal injection, one of the drugs uh, popped out through the man's vein. You know, one of the needles popped out. And then the doctor said, quote, well, hopefully he has enough in him to kill him. Oh, my God. So if that doesn't fall under cruel and unusual punishment, <sighs> I don't know what does. Um, yeah. Baxley said it is just unbelievable. It's all unbelievable and just one of the worst things you ever want to see in your life. So just a reminder, when it comes to the death penalty, state-sanctioned homicide, its it negatively affects everybody. The only people it positively affects, again, are corrupt politicians right. who want to make a, a statement about how tough they are on crime by killing somebody in shackles. And uh, as we'll uh, obviously talk about in our uh, conversation with Dante West on this episode as well, sometimes the people doing these, carrying out these policies actually have stake in the companies, oh, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah. perhaps they they're, have stake in the company that makes the drug cocktail or they have stake in the private prison company. It can go on and on with some yeah. of these folks. Only seven states have killed more since 1976 than South Carolina. And I believe South Carolina just allowed the firing squad because the drugs, they don't have the That's drugs. That's right. We so. covered that story a couple months ago. They're fun. They're fun. There you go. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. All right. Well, let's move on a little bit and talk about what's in this infrastructure bill. I want to hear everybody's thoughts on it. Obviously, number one caveat, drinking and driving is bad. 
Mm, right, Kids, right. Drugs are bad. Drinking mm-hmm. and driving is bad. Mm. The infrastructure bill includes requiring new technology to stop drunken drivers. Now, Congress has created a new requirement for automakers. They have to find, quote, a high tech way to keep drunken people from driving cars. Uh, this is going to be about $17 million of the $1 trillion um, infrastructure bill that passed, which obviously should have been the lead. But quite frankly, I don't know if it's like <laughs> people are like, all right. We got something. And, you know, to some degree, again, uh, Farty Joe, this is a good thing for him. So $17 billion of the $1 trillion is allotted to road safety programs, the biggest increase in funding in decades. That is according to the Eno Center for Transportation. Uh, according to Alex Ott, they say it's monumental. Alex Ott is the president of Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Ott called the package, quote, the single most important legislation in the group's history that marks the beginning of the end of drunk drivers. Uh, It will virtually eliminate the number one killer on American roads. Last month alone, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration reported an estimated 20,000 people died in traffic collisions. And of course, that's quite a spike. Around 10,000 people each year are killed because of alcohol-related crashes in the U.S. Question... What does this mean for civil liberties? What does this mean for manufacturers? Do you think that this holds up in court? Uh, all right. Um, I've talked about this a few times on the show, how I feel like we're competing with China, mm-hmm. you know, to be who's monitoring their citizens harder. I'm really scared of this. I'm, I, I don't think it's a good thing. I don't think uh, uh, who's going to have this data, who's going to run it. Who, is this an Elon Musk program? Right. Uh, it, it, there's just so many. It's I'm scared at every level about right. this yeah well will these machines uh work better in people of colors cars as opposed to white people's cars <laughs> right it's just like anything you know um obviously you you don't want more people to die from drunk drivers um it's a well-intended uh exactly. operation but it you know just like with facial recognition just like anything with criminal justice it could be potentially misused um i've i've been taken aback you know uh all the new cars, they beep until you put on your seatbelt. Mm-hmm. They annoy you into being safe. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know you're very aggravating to drive with because I always have to tell you, put, put your, your seatbelt seat on. on. It's the one piece of my libertarian brain I can't seem you to turn gotta, off. I'm just like, I I love seatbelts. I hate seatbelt laws. But so don't a, beep at me. That's a great point, though. When it comes to that, that's just normal now, right? Right. Like the seatbelt beep beeping, thing, yeah. we are all used to it. Mm-hmm. That happened like in everyone's Honda Civic in like 2005. You're like, oh, God damn it, man, they're beep. And then, of course, you can't wait it out. <laughs> yeah, right. You're just like, all right, all right, Two I'll minutes. buckle up. But that again, nothing, yeah. nothing wrong with buckling. It still buckling. flashes on my car. It's still like- Just flashes? Yeah, it, 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 no, it'll beep, and then it starts flashing, and then it sounds like a bomb's going to go off. You know, so, <laughs> and obviously, again, drinking and driving very seriously. Right. I have a friend and uh, he, he uh, killed somebody when drinking and driving. He's doing 25 years in prison. And obviously that person isn't coming back. It can ruin lives. No denying that. Right now, of course, how they kind of tell if somebody is drunk, you got this little blow thing mm. and you have to blow into it. And then, and then it's like you're hammered and the car won't start. But this technology, speaking of facial recognition, uh, Travis, is interesting because... It is 
basically it involves a camera mm -hmm. and it and it watches the driver right and if the driver looks drowsy or if they lose consciousness or they have impairment look drowsy oh if, my gosh yeah if there are signs uh spotted that the cars the cars will then warn the driver and if the behavior persists so the car will be like bro you're driving like a fucking piece of shit like the worst backseat driver <laughs> ever and be like can you shut up car if that does happen and the car makes a point uh to say uh oh we can't have this Hazard lights immediately go on, the car will slow down, and it will pull to the side of the road. What in the... See, the one thing we always have to remember is the outlier situations, right? Right. What if someone is injured? What if someone is pregnant? What if someone needs to get somewhere very, very fast, and in order to do that, they have to break the speed loss? Right. Mm. You know, that's the, that's a concern. Right. There are so many different things that people go through every single day, and you have a blanket law like this, and we do have to wonder... It, it, could it cost some lives as well? In uh, in Black Mirror, when this this exact thing happened, you have to acknowledge <laughs> we, we are living in yeah, a Black we're, Mirror. We're in Black episode Mirror. Forever. In the Black Mirror episode, you have to acknowledge that you're breaking the law, but the car will continue driving. Hmm. So this, would this be a situation like this, where if you acknowledge, "Hey, I am impaired, I will continue to drive," but uh, the the idea is it won't, because if you're too impaired, you you could kill somebody, so it'll stop you. So you bring up a, such a valid point, Ben. According to Sam Albusamad, uh, he is the principal mobility analyst for Guidehouse Insights. He talks about the technology and how they're going to use it. Again, camera use technology, because ev evidently the initial proposal involved every car having a breathalyzer as if we've already all committed crimes. Mm. <laughs> and I don't think the American people or any people would approve of that. I ain't blown into my freaking car every time I have to drive the damn thing. You know how expensive breathalyzers are to install? What company would be getting a contract to install oh, a breathalyzer in every American? American vehicle. The amount of money involved in this lobbying alone. You right. Know. Oh, yeah. Time to buy stock uh, in Bad. breathalyzers, I guess, <laughs> just like above whoever passed this bill. <laughs> yeah. It is a really interesting conversation, and I think one that we have to continue to have. According to Pete Buttigieg, he says, the best way to allow people to move in ways that are better for congestion and better for climate is to give them alternatives. This is how we do right by the next generation. And of course, when it comes to alternatives, he is talking about the state's Highway Safety Improvement Program funds, um, and that is, of course, uh, you know, supposed to create more safety for bicyclists and non-motorized road users. And this all comes in sort of a different version of Vision Zero, what, uh, which was, of course, implemented by Bill de Blasio in New York City, which I don't believe really worked. And, of course, Bill de Blasio, one of the dings on his mayorialship, was <laughs> that he dings. constantly broke his own Vision Zero policies. Right, right, right. What was Vision Zero? No zero cars, zero emissions. What is what does that mean? Zero cents. Yes, <laughs> Bill de Blasio. Uh, no, it was basically that. Yeah, it was. You know, it talks about uh, you can't idle for as long as you want to. Obviously, speed limits greatly decreased and punishment greatly increased. Um, there were just different. They they really screwed over the streets of New York City. I'm very pro bike lane, but not every street can literally fit one in new york mm -hmm. so it, it kind of tied into all of that and it, it was just a program that was a massive it was very expensive and there was zero data that it saved any lives right so that was kind of the problem with that i think all this money could be better used instead of putting breathalyzers in every car or a camera in every car how about just improve public transportation seriously or even a, an, an uber program for people who need a ride home or uh, or you can uh, get a tow truck in there to tow the car home and give the person a ride too. It's it's kind of like the, well, all those. 
Look, I'm just saying... It's probably still cheaper than this. Yeah, in the past year especially, we saw cities roll out, like they'd give out tickets for not wearing a mask in public transit when literally it would be cheaper for the state to just give you a mask. You know (laughs) what I mean? And that's what I'm thinking about. It's like, you're going to install all these things in all these people's cars. Like you mentioned, Ben, you'll be installing them in cars where people don't need it, right? They're they're not drunk. They don't need to blow into their car every time they want to start it. And no matter what, they're going to be monitored you know, with the facial recognition. Absolutely. And it's just, I don't know. To me, again, I totally get someone who has lost, you know, someone to a drunk driver. I completely understand right. being like, yo, we got to end this. It's just, it's so, again, as we weigh safety and civil liberties, these two, you know, uh, kind of teeter totter at all times. Yeah. And we have to try to find, you know, the right, uh, the right center. According to, according to Kathy Chase, president of Advocates for Highway and Auto Safety. Uh, She says prompt action must be taken up on comprehensive common sense and confirmed solutions to steer our nation towards zero crash fatalities. Proven solutions are at hand and it's time to take action. This is another situation when it comes to uh, criminal justice. What happens? So let's say you, you're driving erratically. Uh, maybe you're Tiger Woods and you had a couple of uh, pain pain pills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you get pulled. The, the car pulls itself over. Is there an alert to police right away? Um, how does it work? You know, I mean, sure. this is is it just I, I'm so against like DUI checkpoints and things like that because they create the crime. Uh, they create the, uh, you know, in New York, there was a street that everyone knew. It was right there on a Union uh, Union Street, Union Avenue, and everyone knew like that was a place where the NYPD would net you, and then you just immediately have to take a breathalyzer, and you're like, this really kind of feels like a massive intrusion of my Fourth Amendment rights. Right. But now they don't even have to do that. No. <laughs> now it's just already in the your DUI car. checkpoint is in your car. Right. Already. I'm not even scared of this right now. I'm scared of what what will happen in the future with this technology. So say you tie it, you begin because to you tie can it. hack it in a heartbeat, right? Oh, or yes. Well, it, so hack, what, what if? Oh my god! Then I feel like oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! But it's what, what the penguin did to Batman. Uh, not even oh. that, Ben. What if the government hacks it and now because say we said something about Joe Biden, Joe Farden, oh. farting too much, we now can't drive our cars. You know what I mean? What if what if you start using it as a political tool or a political weapon or right. you just start uh, suppressing people? We don't want women driving. We don't I'm going crazy with the parabolics here, but that is I mean, that's what China's doing. Right. And that that's the slippery slope with with uh invasion of privacy like you mentioned, Ben. It's just at at what point um are you creating criminals? Well, and then also again, if we're going to be hyperbolic, this is t- 51% hyperbolic, 49% not, this next statement. But we talk about what is fascism when oh, exactly. you know corporate and uh, mm-hmm. government interactions and ties become paramount. Mm-hmm. And so of all the car companies, BMW, they're going to do this, a whole series of other ones. If they do this, next thing you know, they have a shitload of data that they can sell. Ooh. And next thing you know, there's going to be a massive government contract. Mm-hmm. And I would not be surprised, as Fernando said before the show, if Elon Musk... What if he gets the contract? Yeah. I mean, talk about like just creating more wealth for people that don't need it. Exactly. I mean, who else is going to program these robots? It's <laughs> going to be the Musk and we <laughs> or didn't the even, Zuck. The sad thing is also we didn't even have this conversation during the entire, and I blame myself for that as well. I apologize. I didn't know this was in the uh, the bill. Maybe it's a Nancy Pelosi thing where you pass it to see what's in it. Um, but I just <laughs> feel like this is really, it could be used for horrible, horrible reasons. Right. 
And uh, what if someone, again, you just never know why someone is acting a certain way. And there are many things I could see that would make this actually a hindrance for public safety. My mom's been pulled over just completely stone sober just because her driving's a little bit wild. Well, so, is the, it, you know, would, it, would ageism be, uh, be in place? Oh, oh. Also, when it comes to facial recognition, as we know, uh, black my mom people... Was old, ben. Well, that's true. She's, she's 12 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sorry, Ben. Um, but no, truly, when you're a little bit older, you can't drive as well. Right. What if all of a sudden, like, the car just doesn't work anymore for you? Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know. We'll see. So we will keep you up to date on that. And obviously, again, drinking and driving. Don't do it. Don't do it. Call it Uber. Call a Lyft. It'll be much easier in the long much run. Much cheaper. Much, much cheaper. Well, you hear stories like Henry Ruggs. He's a... He's a wide receiver for the uh, Los Angeles Raiders. He just killed somebody. He killed a fan. He killed a, <sighs> a mom and her daughter, I believe. Oh you know, his life is fucked and obviously they're gone. So they're I gone. get it. I totally understand that we do not want, um, we don't want people hammered on the roads. But again, is this the right solution? And is something as blanket as this the right solution? And at some point in Russia, the car drives you. Ah, literally, it's happening. Really. Enough, <laughs> it's relevant again. Ha- it's actually happening. Oh god! Maybe if, you know what it should do. It should pull you into a drive-through for McDonald's. Oh, if you take you to Taco Bell, take you to. If you're like, well, it looks like he's a stone driver. Taco Bell. If I'm hammered, I need that bread from Mickey D's. Yeah. <laughs> I told the story on uh, last podcast, but on Saturday I was quite depressed, and I got Taco Bell and McDonald's because I wasn't sure who was going to show up first, <laughs> and then I mixed the cheese sauce. I put that on my Big Mac with a little bit of chip. Yep. And my friends, I shouldn't be driving after that mm. because yeah. that was a, I was like, whoa, yeah. bro. And you should not be standing next to Camilla. <laughs> Camilla. <laughs> All right. And I want to hear your thoughts on that. So DM me or, uh, you know, comment. Are, are you guys for or against it? And again, I'm sure we'll have, I'm sure this is a, this is a tricky one <laughs> because yeah. but. As I say, as I think it's a cliche, but, you know, oftentimes the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Exactly. And uh, I just worry. Very similar to with the uh, very similar to Apple, right? When Apple was like, we're going to monitor your phones because we're going to get rid of child porn. And now it puts you in a position right. where you're like, um, no, please don't do that. And then they say, but you're so you're for <laughs> child porn. It's like, no, I'm not. Um, but again, we constantly weigh our civil liberties with um, with safety. Right. And those yeah. are the most, uh, those are some of the more, you know, vigorous debates, I would say, in the country. Oh, yeah. 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 And they go on. Just yeah. don't drink and drive. People, please. Just don't drink and drive. Like Travis said. Please. I'm talking even soda. No. Uh, yeah. But the, oh, that's another great point. What if you're on your phone? Are you going to start, uh, are you going to start texting and driving? Texting and driving, a massive issue. Mm. Are, they, are you going to get fined? As long as you're on Facebook, because well, we, you're generating content. Well, you know, is. Now that I'm talking about it even more which I'm sure the audience is just so in love with. Um, but you think about what happened in Chicago or what's happening there in Chicago, mm-hmm. the company that has the speed trap right, cameras right, that's right, making right. bank. Yeah. So what if you just get fined? Like you have just been fined 13 social credits. Uh, right. Literally like demolition man or the aforementioned China. Right. No, it, you're tapping into a very good point here. We, If we could all just actually inspire good behavior from each other, then we wouldn't need robots to come into our very personal lives and do it for us. Right. So, And I just feel like people are not guilty and people are not, people are still innocent until proven guilty. Yes. And if you have a history with DUIs, you need that 
you got to have that breathalyzer if you're allowed to drive at all. Right. Um, you might have to lose your license for life. If what I think after three DUIs in many places, you 20, do, 20 plus years at least. 20 plus years. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I don't give a shit. Obviously, you have a drinking problem. Right, right. It's you're not dangerous like, to you're, yourself and others. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's another good point. You can hurt yourself immensely. I had a friend who lost a leg, ran into a tree. Yeah. Um, so it happens. We know drinking and driving is bad. But is this the right solution given all of the things that could potentially go wrong? Okay, let's move on just a little bit. I hate to mention her, but we will. Ann Coulter. Um, she is, she's still mad at Donald. Can somebody <laughs> tell me what exactly happened? I forget. What was the reason that she got mad at Donald? She originally got mad at him because he didn't build the wall fast enough. Uh, yeah. So yeah, then, was never then she just got to unleash for all the other things. <laughs> the rage. Yeah. Of course, uh, Ann Coulter was one of Trump's biggest fans. As a matter of fact, she wrote a book, Trump We Trust E Pluribus. Awesome. Uh. Which again is just, a, you might as well just wipe your ass with it as complete as is 99.9 percent of the books that came out during the trump administration it's just total trash um this is what she told andrew sullivan he has a podcast called dish cast he dishes Ooh. i dish we should dish are we dishing yeah we kind of do but we we informed dishing it's yeah. not gossip we're you know that's right yeah it's more like fishing Oh, this is what she told Sullivan. She says, I was very, I was well familiar with what a narcissistic, ridiculous, tacky, vulgar Arviste. I don't know what that means. This guy was Arviste. I don't know. But then she goes on that. I knew about the one thing I underestimated. In fact, did not see at all. I had no idea how objectively stupid the man is. But again, yeah, you did. <laughs> we all saw the same right, damn campaign right. you did. Right. We all saw the fat fuck go down the escalator in in Trump Tower. We all so she is just she's cashing in. But is there okay? He's popular. She writes a book about how much she loves him. He becomes unpopular. She now talks about how much she hates. Him. Oh, you're right. That's is just classic culture. Mm, that's a good point. Mm. Is the anti is the former Trump supporter anti Trump now market big enough? <laughs> a, she's going for that anti Trump market. That's a good market. But yet she is. And of course, one of my greatest pet peeves is what people on Twitter will be like, I can't believe I agree with Ann Coulter. She's not that crazy. Right. Yeah. And she's getting like, no. Democrats. She's getting now she's going to get a show on MSNBC. You honestly <laughs> wait and see. She yeah. did all that. Coulter did. tonight. Oh, God. Uh, she didn't have she the, all the things she said about him. She obviously didn't like him. But I don't know. This is she feels betrayed. You, you know, oh, she, yeah. she you, no, 100%. Like, when she was talking about the wall, that's exactly yeah, what she, she said. Just, you, she's scorned. You know, she's yeah. a bit of a woman scorned, uh -huh. person scorned. I don't want to be sexy. such a moron. <laughs> right. This is it, what. Uh, is she a person now? That's the other question. That is a question, actually. Uh -huh. I'm not sure. Uh -huh. She should have her own goop. She's, uh, she looks, she looks kind of like Gwyneth Paltrow. Mm. This candle smells like hate. <laughs> <laughs> Mm, so, yeah, she says that she would uh, people would always tell her, oh, he's not really going to build the wall. And then she said, oh. I'd laugh and say, no way. Mm. No, <laughs> she was in say, no, the thing is, he's got to do. He's the one thing is he's got to build the wall. Wow. She's a moron. Yeah, there it was. <laughs> there was he she he made her look stupid. Right. <laughs> made her look stupid. And that's the one thing you cannot do to a politician. Well, that reminds me of a line from Clue. Are you trying to make me look stupid in front of the other guests? Don't need any help from me, sir. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right. So uh, that kind of ties in a little bit to Chris Christie saying that uh, Donald Trump, it's time for the Republicans to move on. Obviously, uh, that would be great because we shall see now in 2024 what Chris Christie's political plans are. And would somebody like Ann Coulter support somebody like Chris Christie? I would actually assume she's more of a Ted Cruz gal in more ways than one. Mm So we'll see. There was a great uh, debate on C-SPAN or conversation about what the political sphere looks like in 2024. And the majority of people said that Trump, barring some massive, you know, illness or if he uh, dies or whatever the hell, uh, they say he's definitely running. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, when it comes to the Dems, it appears as if they are more on board than ever with a massive primary once again. Oh, really? And uh, not having uh, Joe run. As we talked about, the majority or just under the majority of Democrats don't want him to run for re-election, which is not a good sign. Right. And on the Trump side of things, obviously, I still get emails from Roger Stone. And he <laughs> he really uh, wants Trump to run again in 2024. He says uh, all the things that Trump uh, strived for will be lost if, if Trump does not do it. And above all... Roger really doesn't want a Ron DeSantis challenge to Trump in the 2024, which is why Roger has apparently announced that he may even run against DeSantis for governor, but he'll run as a libertarian. We'll see uh, how he, that goes. He can feel zero point eight percent, something like that. Yeah, those are the, I wonder you know, libertarian numbers, right? Yeah, there. those are good. Those are good numbers. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of politicians and speaking of celebrities, obviously we talked about uh, my boy. Our boy, Matthew McConaughey. Mm-hmm. All right, all right, all right. Might run for governor, hopefully shirtless. I believe all the gals would approve, and some boys as well. Dr. Mehmet Oz, Dr. Oz, he's the famous physician. Uh, he is now planning to run as a Republican for Pennsylvania Senate. I had a chance to meet Dr. Oz when I was working at Yahoo News, as a matter of fact. I was doing a little show there. And uh, the only thing he told me was, don't eat breakfast. That was his main thing. Right. He railed against breakfast That's for about doctor. 20 minutes in the green room. Solid doctor advice. He made me message Mark Wahlberg and tell Mark Wahlberg not to eat breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it was interesting. He also had very different approaches to COVID off air on on air. On air, a little bit more hysteric off air. He was like, well, you know, much more, I don't know, reassuring, I suppose. But hmm. you know, panic, panic works when it comes to getting ratings. That's what you want from a doctor. Say one thing. To me, and then say another thing to my family. Of course, yeah, exactly. Of Isn't course, he like a Doctor Phil doctor though. I don't know if like he's a still TV a doc- doctor. Yes. Yeah, it was like <laughs> totally he's one of the Oprah doctors. But- he is an Oprah doctor. She dubbed him America's doctor. Uh, yeah, and I actually think this was kind of the beginning of the end of people seeing Oprah as like total god because some of the people she promoted, exactly. like Doctor Oz and Million Dr. Little Pieces. Phil, you know that James whole, Fry, yeah, all of that. But she did give us Marianne Williamson. So <laughs> I do like her. Anyway, so Doctor Oz, look out! He is going to run for Senate. There will obviously be a Republican primary, and uh, we'll see what happens. Do you guys think he has any chance? Yeah, he's a celebrity. He has a huge chance. Yeah, the celebrity thing is really in. I mean, Matthew McConaughey. Uh, I mean, just look, Caitlyn Jenner's numbers here in California. She only got 1%. That's right. Those are good numbers. <laughs> I come, I'm looking at this from a libertarian standpoint at all times. Yeah. But yeah, no, Dr. Oz, again, in, in Pennsylvania, absolutely. Oh, yeah. They could go Republican in a second for a TV doctor. Well, one of the reasons I think, or one of the political things that he will have to address 
is he's half a snake oil salesman. He, he is. Some of the because yeah. even when I posted that little thing of the picture with me on Yahoo, it's always so funny hey. what triggers people because yeah. I had no idea like how hated he was. Oh, I, I was like, it. hey, I'm hanging out with Doctor Ross, and everyone's like, yeah, tell him to fuck off. <laughs> yeah, you told me he's a fucking asshole. I was like, I, I thought he was, I don't know, yeah. I don't know. But I, you know, so basically we have someone who is uh, Aaron Rodgers esque, mm. perhaps when uh, truly di- discussing. Oh. What what is best to put in your body? Wow, I'm looking forward to Aaron Rodgers Senate run in Wisconsin now. Ooh. You've just inspired. Congratulations! Ooh. Well, he won't be able to win there anytime <laughs> soon unless uh, unless he's playing football. I hope so. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I do love him playing football, so I got nothing. To, I can't complain about the man. All right, we're well, just moving on just briefly here because I want to hear your thoughts on this, Travis. No, this is about uh, James O'Keefe. Hmm. I don't know if you guys heard this story, but James O'Keefe, his house was raided by the FBI because evidently uh, Mm. Project Veritas, this is his, um, what would you call it? What is Project Veritas? His his initiative? It's a hidden camera, um, gotcha type of journalism, basically. And and obviously for for politics. It it is not for punk. It is not for Ashton Kutcher fun. (laughs) It is is more, and obviously he slants more on the conservative side. So his his targets tend to be Unions, teachers, uh, Democrats, um, a lot of uh, the whole uh, voter fraud where people try to vote twice and then they they catch the uh, poll workers being like, I, I, I guess, I don't know. Um, and that is more or less how James O'Keefe uh, made his bread and he made his name originally by appealing to a fellow named Andrew Breitbart. And uh, they uh, their big takedown was getting ACORN, which was a federal program, completely defunded. Right. So that is what uh, James O'Keefe and Project Veritas mainly does. Okay. But after 2016, obviously, they went full Trump, full pro-Trump. And it's hard to say what kind of stories they're breaking. And even this one right now, I don't fully understand. But it involves a diary of... Ashley Biden? Yeah, it involves the diary of uh, Joe Biden's daughter. Now, evidently, somehow they got in contact with this diary, which kind of infers some weird Watergate situation. You would have to have a gun to the back of my head to me to look at a teenager girl's diary. It's a little girl, right? Yeah, Yeah. I mean, she's not that old for sure. And it's like, I can't even imagine. Well, it's probably just pages and pages about my dad won't stop farting. Now that is classic Irvine, as always, <laughs> bringing the heat in a way that you can only expect here on A. Blinken's top hat. An FBI spokesman uh, men on Saturday said that the agents, quote, performed law enforcement activity. Pretty, pretty broad there. Um, and they did that by, of course, raiding uh, James O'Keefe's home and his office, his apartment complex in Mamoranek. Mamoranek? Mamoranek? Hmm. Anyway, they showed up at six o'clock in the morning. And, uh, yeah, they busted down the door and did what they do. That's what the FBI does. 6 a.m. It's always 6 a.m. That's what I've always heard. It's too early. Yeah. That's what they, they know someone's sleeping. Because even if you do a bunch of drugs, you might fall asleep by 5 a.m. Yes. And you then know. you're on only an hour. And then, you're, then your mugshot looks real crazy. Yeah. Project Veritas did not publish the, uh, the diary. Uh, Miss Biden is 40 years old. Um, but she is still Joe Biden's youngest child. Mm. Wow, he's old. Oh, my God. <laughs> And uh, so anyway, we will keep you up to date on what's going on with that. I mean, you don't put it past him. I wouldn't put it past him. Um, I mean, when I uh, associated with Project Veritas back uh, when I was a confused, lonely post-journalism school grad who needed to pay off my student loans, 
Um, you know, there are some interesting characters that uh, James O'Keefe works with. Uh, one of the producers that he worked with was the guy who tried to um, blackmail David Letterman. That's right. And uh, they. Oh, my God. They gave him, you know, a, a check that obviously as soon as he took it to the bank, the FBI got him, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. Um, yeah, there's some unsavory characters at Project Veritas. They certainly do some unsavory work. Um, certainly it was stressful for me um, when I did work there. And, and I'm glad I got out when I did because, um, you know, I, I've only had to testify on behalf of two people in my entire life. One was Roger Stone and one was James O'Keefe, and now they've both been raided by the FBI. So <laughs> I'm probably a good thing I stayed the hell away and <laughs> just told the truth when yeah. I had to. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of telling the truth, David Letterman proved he was that was a great example. He was he talked. He was like, Yes, I've had an affair with my staffer. It was mm. consensual, but he that I remember that episode. And then he said, I'm being blackmailed. Yeah. And as we know, again, from the aforementioned clue. The truth will set you free. Sometimes it puts you in prison. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in the case of something like this, where it's more of a moral, um, right. it's a moral issue, right? Because um, obviously David Letterman was married. And then obviously the person who blackmailed him committed a far worse crime than having an affair at the office, which a lot of people do. <sighs> Not that I'm saying it's right, but anyway. All right. And just lastly, um, well, basically lastly, and then we'll get to this great interview with Mr. Dante West. House Democrats on uh, Wednesday voted against a key provision that would lower prescription drug prices in the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill. And uh, this just is so sickening to me because as we're seeing now, pharmaceutical companies actually you previously would target Republicans when it comes to funding. Mm, and now they're targeting Democrats. And it's just absolutely disgusting. If you're a Democrat and you voted against this provision, Please, God, get primaried. Uh, Don't you right. think? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, this is, again, um, like we were talking about, the, the the move towards fascism is corporate power and state power coming together. The thing about the corporations, they have so much money. Even uh, this whole effort to uh, with the uh, reconciliation bill to lower drug prices is being challenged with millions and millions of dollars mm -hmm. in lobbying uh, from the pharmaceutical companies. They make so much money off Americans. Um, in this way. And so, yeah, of course, they're going to throw money at whoever they can to get their way. One person that needs to be primary is right here in the beautiful state, half the time on fire, but it is beautiful, California, Democrat Scott Peters. Uh, he co-authored a letter with nine other moderate Democrats. And I just don't understand how this is a freaking political winner. And it's just so infuriating when it's just obviously about them getting money and nothing to do with their constituents. But anyway, he wrote a letter uh, with nine other moderate Democrats. He argued reducing drug, drug prices would, quote, hamper research and development of new medicines in the pharmaceutical industry, which is, I don't know why. Yeah. How? I don't know. They're so rich. Uh, the plan would allow Medicare programs to negotiate lower costs for prescription drugs mm -hmm. instead of pharmaceutical companies setting that price. Peters voted against the provision during the bill's markup in the House Energy and Commerce Committee on Wednesday and was joined by fellow Democrat, another person who needs to be primaried, Kurt Scharder. Probably learned that from Biden. He's a Democrat out of Oregon and a Democrat out of New York, Kathleen Rice. These people, Scharder, Rice, and Peters. Yeah. Uh, those people need to go. Absolutely. Because that's unbelievable. And it's disgusting. And because of them, people have to choose between their uh, diabetes medication or sending their child to school right or getting a car or whatever it is if you don't have health you don't got nothing 
And this is a great example where justice Democrats um, could step in, run a more progressive, leaning Democrat in the primary against some of these Congress people. Because, again, it's kind of a, a it's such a winning issue to just go in and be like, you know what? I don't want all these people to pay higher. Right. I want to help people. I want to help people. It's very basic. The industry's campaign contributions peaked at eighty nine million dollars wow. in 2020. Sixty one percent of that. Went to Democrats. Uh, House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy, however, was the industry's top recipient. He received uh, $446,000 in campaign and super PAC funds. And Pelosi received $151,000. And of course, Peters, the aforementioned Peters, the man who penned the letter, Scott Peters, again, out of California, a man who needs to be primaried and gone. Over his years since 2012, guess how much money he's made from pharmaceutical companies? I'm going to say a shitload. That's correct. You mm. actually, on Ben Kissel Jeopardy, mm-hmm. you didn't say what is. What oh, is a shitload? Damn. I'm sorry. But yeah, it is what is a shitload. $860,000. Wow. That's so much money. It's so much money. On May 4th, he received $5,000 contribution from Pfizer CEO Albert Berla. $5,000 from Eli Lilly and Company CEO David Ricks of $2,900. And then, uh, and he's also a former CEO of Merck. And then Kenneth Frazier, uh, the CEO of Bristol Myers Squibb, go to the doctor if that's uh, if you have that. <laughs> he gave him damn near three grand. So, wow. well, that's the thing. They it's drop, disgusting. They drop millions of dollars in lobbying and uh, campaign contributions so they can continue to get those billions in profits. It's it's a win for them. So of course they're going to try. But again, all you need are politicians who don't believe in it and will stand up against it. Yeah, but when, you know, when people talk about it, and it's so sad because when people are like, oh, both sides are the same, and then you look at something like this, and that validates the opinion. Right, right. Yeah, money is going to get... We see it time and time again. You you get Democrat or Republican, it doesn't matter. You get them the money, and they're going to vote your way. And that's kind of the name of the game, unfortunately. It's disgusting. Keep politicians poor. There yeah, and put a camera on them too. Yeah. I'm all about body cams. Body on those cam. People. How all drunk day. are they when they're in the when they're in the chamber? They're mm. all lit. There's yeah. so many politicians have DUIs. Those people need a breathalyzer <laughs> around them all the time. <sighs> the bubblers in the Capitol are just whiskey. They're <laughs> fucking yeah. hammered. Yeah. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. Remax is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit Remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brands Park American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening to us. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Now I think you will with Dante West. Uh, we talk a little bit more about what's going on with The Last Prisoner Project. So check out The Last Prisoner Project. Also, Dante, a little bit later, I believe he said this year, um, or in the near future, he'll have a documentary out mm-hmm. called The Story of Dante West. And uh, he's just a fantastic man, a total ally when it comes to criminal justice reform, and uh, just somebody that 
It's important to hear from. So enjoy this conversation. All right, everyone. Now it's time for our conversation with Dante West. He has been on this show before. He worked for The Last Prisoner Project, and he is an inspiration to so many. Thanks for being on the show, Dante. Man, I love to be here. I love you guys, man. Every auto-awareness you guys bring is like rocket ships, literally. Thank you, Dante. Man, I appreciate what you're up to. And so can you just tell us a little bit about what's going on with you and The uh, Last Prisoner Project as of the past few months? Yeah, man, I just completed my documentary, so you guys keep on looking yes. out, man. It, it should be at the end of the month. I should be releasing it, trying to find a good home for it. What's that called? Uh, uh, the Story of Dante West. Awesome. So, okay, The Story of Dante West. We'll definitely get people yeah. to watch that. Hey, man, so it's just basically, man, about the process of me catching COVID in prison, me writing the motion, me eventually getting free. And I thought I was going to be free. They try to retry my case and I eventually get exonerated. Get my brother's out of foster care. So oh. it's definitely it was definitely something to catch, man, if you guys are interested in criminal justice, man. So personally, that's what I've been doing. Awesome. Uh, I've been kind of dialing in for the holidays. Uh, it's really important, man, for LPP is the holiday time, man. Yeah. Well, obviously, of course, as people, you know, miss the the people that they love in their life around Thanksgiving and Christmas, it must be extremely difficult. Can you speak on that experience of what's it like to be incarcerated during the holidays and just, you know, just the wear and tear, especially in your situation where you wanted to take care of your your brother and you weren't able to? Yeah, man, it hit me straight in the heart. I mean, year after year, just missing birthdays and missing those holidays where everybody you know, flies all over the world to be with their family, man, just being behind a cell uh, and not even being from the state, man. For anybody that doesn't know that's in the audience, I was locked up in Kansas. I'm from California. So no one was coming to visit me. You know, a lot of these guys next to me were looking forward to their family coming once a year. And, you know, in in my situation, I didn't have that, you know. So I feel for those guys that's, you know, locked up, not able to see their family, not able to see their children, especially if you're in there for a week. If it's, it's like right. you got these people visiting dispensaries every day, but people can't even visit their family, uh, you know, due to COVID, you know, at the, right. at my particular time when I was in prison, you know? So I think it's just, it's an eye opener, man. And LPP does a really good job of bringing awareness, man. You can walk into a dispensary, you can write a letter to an inmate. They got like a yearbook where you could select the individual from all different backgrounds. You could read a little bit about their story, write a letter to that individual to say, hey, I'm in here buying a, a cannabis product and hopefully you get home, man, for right. you. And as simple as that, letting people know you think about them over the holidays, man. I used to get a letter, uh, you know, I used to get letters, man, from different people. And with that letter, you know, with the letter, I used to just put it on my bunk and just wait to the end of the night and just open it up, man. And it gives me a joy. Even if it was just a few words, it was a joy of someone thinking about me around this type of time. So it's very important, man, to let those people know we're thinking about them on the holidays. This is maybe the stupid question. Um, But Mm -hmm. as far as like writing to somebody who's incarcerated, I had a personal experience. One of my friends made a mistake and he drove drunk and somebody got, uh, somebody died and, you know, he's incarcerated. And I wrote him a few times and and never, you know, received a message back. And I spoke with Mm -hmm. his family and obviously he was in for 25 years um, and he's going, he was going through a very difficult time. Can you kind of talk to our audience and and us? Uh, How do you write? a letter to somebody who's incarcerated. My big thing was like, I was trying to tell him what I was doing. I was like, we're starting a podcast. I'm in New York. I'm doing comedy. I'm trying to, you know, and I'm like, is this reading as if I'm fucking bragging about, you know, not being incarcerated? Can you give any insight into that? No, I think everybody's different. You know, mental health is so serious in, in yeah. prison. You know, you 
you sit behind a wall, man, and there's so many therapists, psychiatrists there. And, you know, a lot of people can't are just not mentally there to kind of like like they like, like they noted what you said. But sometimes there's such of in a deep spot. They can't even respond like how they would want to. Mm. You know what I mean? So for me, I love to see encouraging wor- words from like my my friends that they're out there being successful, accomplishing the world because they're free and you can really do anything. You know what I mean? So I love hearing that you know, from certain individuals getting it. But I think it's just easy. It's just simple, man. A lot of people want someone to talk to. For me, it was just like me not having nobody, me corresponding with certain individuals, family. That passes time, you know, because a letter comes one week, you send a letter off, you're looking forward for that letter in the next few weeks. Before right. you know it, you've been writing someone a year, you know? So it's, I think it's different for everybody, um, you know, and... I don't think he came off bragging too much, man, because a lot of people love, you know, love that. But, you know, you serve, that guy served a lot of time, 25 years. It's kind of like, you know, you really don't have nothing to look forward to. It's not like you can watch it. You know what I mean? Right. Unfortunately, but uh, I know he was rooting for you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you uh, for for kind of discussing that, because I think, I guess I've never heard that question talked or about before. So I guess it's kind of interesting. Hey, it's the podcast for the uncomfortable, man. We got to we gotta, we bring everything, like yeah. uh, everything under the rock. We're going to take a peek. Uh, Absolutely. So when it comes to last pris- at, when it comes to last prisoner project, uh, what have you all been up to? And uh, is there anything anything you're excited about for the future or something that happened in the recent past? Oh my God, man. There's so many moving parts. Like I said, that you guys support a straight, uh, a beautiful organization, man. Last Prisoner Project, they do so many things. I think this is the most important time of the year for Last Prisoner Project because they're really uh, vamping up their letter writing to their constituents. You know, they got so many constituents in prison. So they want to make sure that they're thought about, that someone's really working towards getting them released, whatever. Uh, they got a bunch of, I know they're in DC working hard on trying to get that legalization passed federally um and then they're also working in select states uh, particularly down south in the midwest okay uh where they're trying to get those laws uh, they got crazy sentencing laws man mm-hmm. people are getting crazy amount of times they're working on working with those legislators on trying to you know bring light to an outdated sentencing grid so they're working on that but i think their full focus right now is to get all those letters out bring awareness around the holidays i know they go out and help people help certain families with Christmas presents, yeah. uh, Thanksgiving. I mean, they're not only, one thing I love about LPP, you know, they're going to try to help the constituent that's in, the cannabis prisoner that's in, but they also take a look at the family, you know, the kids and, yeah. and the moms and, and the people that are out struggling without their loved one. And they try to make the best of those holidays. So they're very, very strategic and, and very surgical when it comes to the approach of helping those families for people that are incarcerated for cannabis. Absolutely. And that's the side that is, again, rarely explored what happens to the families after somebody is uh, over sentenced. And it just it's so devastating. Um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts a little bit. I want to talk because I know we don't have too much time today, but uh, I want to talk a little bit about the legalization or decriminalization of psilocybin. That's, uh, you know, magic mushrooms or something like that. I want to talk about that in the context of, you know, weed and uh, criminal justice reform. But before Mm -hmm. that, have you heard about what's going on uh, in uh, in Oklahoma? with this case regarding this fellow named Julius Jones. Yeah. So this was a man uh, who was perhaps wrongfully convicted of murdering a man in 1999. He was sentenced to death. And uh, from my understanding, that is still uh, the plan. The state has the plan to execute him. Um, can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on 
the death penalty on i personally am against it i want to uh, your, your personal thoughts and just kind of like you know how do you feel what, what kind of message does that send to communities specifically communities that have had um disproportionately been you know penalized by the criminal justice system when it comes to the state's ability to end your life even if you may uh, be innocent you know i do have a problem with the death penalty being because it's like this if we look at the history of people that's on the death penalty they killed so many innocent people mm -hmm. you know with the lack of evidence and the lack of kind of finding out the facts i believe julius is innocent you know i really do i think as I read on this case briefly, and I don't want to talk about it too, too much, but I know that that guy doesn't deserve to die, right. you know, to say the least. I mean, the inadequate evidence is like, you know, wow, you know, and I think I think we need to address the criminal justice issues before we start executing people Absolutely. You know, for no reason. You know what I mean? I think that's horrible. I mean, I'm a firm believer in, you know, giving everybody deserves a check and chance and nobody's in their final form of who they are as a human being. You know, what I mean, I think people do have the opportunity. Who who are we to say that your life should end? You know, what I mean, I think I think the most important part of the situation is we got to address. I, I, I was reading I was watching the movie for life the other day and, you know, you see the guy get exonerated and you see so many other people that are just so innocent. And they were just looking to pin crimes on people, especially in little towns. Man, if we look at little towns where there's not that many minorities or African-Americans is, and you get to that small judge and that jury and you're just passing through and you got a community outrage and there's someone that's missing or, or died. And you have, you particularly had to be in that same area at that same time, man, there's nothing for those guys to pin a murder on you. You know what I mean? And then it's up to you if you have no money to not even get no right criminal defense lawyer and you got to get one appointed to you. They all work for the same people. Right. You know, and then now you now those now those odds are stacked against you going into a courtroom with no one that looks like you. And then mm -hmm. you go to prison for something you may or may not have done, you right. know. So and I think I think with Julius case, man, he, he got he got hit so many years ago. And I think there needs to be a thorough investigation. I think he needs his due diligence when it comes to this. Yeah, I guess we can kind of stick with uh, some of the cases that are a little bit larger um, going on right now because it all plays into the same thing. Obviously, we have the Ahmad Arbery uh, trial of the uh, three men that that killed him, and now we know for a fact the DA didn't press charges for over a year right. because they're friends. <laughs> and uh, now, thankfully, yeah. she was actually just charged. But when you hear that story, um, just to, uh, can you give our audience a little bit of insight into, you know, how how that makes you feel, and, and what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you look at the Omar uh, Berry case that I, I kind of been following a little bit, man. They, they only have one African American jeweler, but mm -hmm. one right. thing I hate to do it. One thing I hate to Ben, I know you and your team is great guys. You don't even see color, but I, one thing I hate to do is divide, you know, so much. But it's obvious something that you have to address. But I just hope that we don't see color at this point. We just see right or wrong, you know. And right. I think that's the most important part. Like we know in our heart what those men did was wrong, and I feel like will find justice in that that my faith is hopefully in, in finding justice in that situation i mean the right. evidence is pure as day the video i mean you can't you can't get around it but just many issues man you see all over the, you see all over the world and just all these issues arising and, and you guys are bringing awareness to all these issues i think the more we speak about it the more we amplify it even julius jones i see kim kardashian post about him too so i think the more we amplify it and use our platforms no matter how little or how big, 
it's going to help out tremendously because we're showing that we care. We're speaking about it. We're not silenced, you know, and I think yeah. those are issues that, you know, be tremendous, man. But that case with all Mar- Marbury is, you know, something to take a look at. But That's I think so- slowly, I think slowly but surely the nation is healing. You know, I, I really do. Yeah. And then I guess the flip side of that, when it comes to jurors, I know the jury trial is like as good as we can get, right? Like, I guess that's as fair as you can be, but it's freaking horrifying um, <laughs> to have yeah. 12 random people decide your fate um, because people can look at the exact same thing and have a totally different opinion. And now we have the situation on the flip side of cases with Kyle Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse, of course, the man in Kenosha, Wisconsin, the boy or whatever the hell, went down with the AR-15. We talk about it. He shot and killed two people. And, of course, he was upset because people were protesting police violence after the shooting of Jacob Blake. Now, Jacob Blake ended up being paralyzed. There was a juror on that case who was just recently excused for telling a horrible joke um, about how the police didn't uh, didn't keep on shooting Jacob Blake because they ran out of bullets. And he's like, that's a funny little joke there. He's been replaced. But how many times do you think a juror doesn't make the dumb fucking joke out loud? And how many times is a juror sitting there with hidden uh, bias and bigotry? And uh, is there any way to, to weed that out? Because obviously the prosecution is probably sniffing around for those people. Or, or in this case, the defense, right? In the Rittenhouse case, no, they they are. I mean, I I went to a jury trial myself, so I went to a jury trial, and nobody looked like me at all. Mm. You know, I was in I was in I was in Kansas, Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, you know, good. They they were you know they they found me not guilty on some charges. They found me guilty on some weed charges, and you know, ultimately got sent to prison. But you know, you go in there and you kind of see like, it, it. I think it's not so much you know the white and black. It's like I think it's more like you may not understand where I actually come from. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you don't really, if you're not a minority like me, you don't, you kind of don't go through the certain things I may go to go through, you know what I mean? So you're going to judge me differently, you know? And I think a lot of these people, man, they, when you go into a jury process, I think you start off with like, you know, 24 people. Right. And then you get, you narrow it down to 12, you know, right. um, you do like a, I think you scratch one, your defense attorney scratches one, then the, and then the prosecutor scratches one, and then you keep scratching them and scratching them, asking questions, and then you end up with the 12. Does it lead to um, the 12 best jurors or the worst? Mm. Because if, the, if they keep on exiting out the people where it's like the defense is like, that's actually a good good juror for us, and then they're God, and then vice versa. Who are you left with? If you look at these little towns, man, you look at Manhattan, Kansas, you look where, um, I'm not sure, sure, or Marbury and these little towns out there, man, you sit back and you look like you don't have that much to pick from. And then once you pick from them, chances are you know them. You know what I mean? A lot of these prosecutors know the jury, so it's going to play in their favor. After after they put you on trial and send you to prison, they all go home and talk about, you know, what happened and they all hang out. They don't, they don't put, they put it beside them. You know, unfortunately, it's... uh, I was blessed. I had got a, this is a quick, quick story, man. I had a public defender, you know, I ran out of cash. I had written a motion. He was a prosecutor for 30 years. You know, this was his first time being a, a criminal defense lawyer. Wow. His second year. And he sat back and he, and he told me, he said, Dante, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of things in, in the jury, uh, in the jury selection process. And when you get into a little town like this, you know, there's not a much to pick from. Everybody knows somebody somehow, some way, you know, just to be truthfully honest, your best shots are in a bigger populated area because you got more to choose from. But right. if you get caught in these little towns, man, your odds are stacked against you. And, and there's a good, good chance of, 
you know, you don't have any money or even if you have money, you can you can go to prison, you know, over a minor crime. When he said that to you, what uh, was your reaction? You know, I, I just I knew I knew that I had a great chance of being convicted, regardless if I did the crime or not. You know what I mean? I just knew I just knew because they want justice in their city. And especially if I'm not from the city, it's even a bias that way, man. So it, right. the jury, the, the jury and the justice system is so, I mean, people invest, you know, for instance, like people invest in prison for profit. So like mm. people will go in, like they had judges investing or they're not even directly the judges. They'll have like family invest in like core mm. civic, but then core civic houses inmates and you're the prosecutor mm. that sends inmates to core civic. Mm, so your disgusting. stock rises. Yeah. So it's, it's so horrible, man. And, and, and by you bringing awareness to this, it's just amplifying it even more because you're letting them know like the bullshit's not going to stand. It should never yeah. it, like the idea that you can have a financial interest in the mm. prison system and be a judge, a prosecutor, or a or right. defense or, attorney, or, or attorney or a general, general, or an Jeff Sessions had stake in private prisons and That's right. attorney general. It's disgusting. Yeah, facts. Little pieces of shit. But anyway, um, <laughs> it really is just insane. You see the people that uh, the the power trip that these people go on, and it's just it's so disgusting the amount of Schadenfreude and joy people get out of other people's suffering. And I uh, just as you said, I hope we can just come together more and um, and just be united on this because criminal justice reform. It you know obviously we we've been talking uh, you know about uh, you know uh, African Americans and uh, you know Hispanics and stuff as well. But there's a lot of people incarcerated, over incarcerated, a lot of poor whites. I think at the end of the day, money. Talks yeah, very, very loud. Class and money talk very, very loud. If you're a poor white dude in Appalachia, you're not going to get treated very well in the criminal justice system either. You know? <laughs> no, no, so, not even in Kansas, man. Just not even. Just real quick, it's like not even Kansas. Like a lot of people died. You know, majority of the prison population was black, but you know, truth be told, man, there was a lot of poor white guys in there. You know, getting just as much as time as me. Um, you know, we got a greater chance of getting a harsher sentence, but mm -hmm. man, they were sending those guys to prison too. Man, they didn't care about if he was white, black, or green. You come through my city and you ain't got no money, you don't deserve to be free. Right. Mm -hmm. When it comes to uh, the recent stuff, again, just we're with Dante West. Uh, he's a fantastic advocate for criminal justice reform, and the new documentary will be out soon. Is the story of Dante West, correct? Yes, sir. All right. I love that. I can. I remember the title. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, when it comes to the decriminalization now of mushrooms, psilocybin, recently Detroit mm -hmm. actually just had a ballot initiative and they decriminalized in uh, in Detroit psilocybin and then many other states have deprioritized it. Um, what do you think that means going forward when it comes to the, the, the war on drugs and when it comes to marijuana reform? Because I'm assuming there are people incarcerated for mushroom. I mean, it's a class. It was a what a class one felony, right? Yeah. It's still a schedule, schedule one drug, one. right? Mm -hmm. yes. So the federal government will fuck you. I mean, you're gone. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what do you think about that? And obviously, I think it's a step in the right direction. But I just want to hear your thoughts. Uh, when you hear these ballot initiatives, because because again, we must remember those people that are unseen. There's a reason prisons are not, you know, downtown in glass. It, they don't look like a freaking Apple store for a reason, mm -hmm. uh, because no one you put them away, shove them away, and forget about them. But we know people are in prison for things like this. What's the? Uh, how do you feel when you hear these kinds of things? Yeah, I think you know psychedelics come from the earth. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, just like the, just like the cannabis plant. You know, so. I just recently read, they, they said a billion dollars uh, of research, um, and I know you're going to use a portion of that proceeds 
for cannabis research. Okay. Uh, the Senate just approved that. So I think it's very bipartisan. I think, I think, I think, honestly, I think psychedelics is going to be a state in, you know, option, you know what I mean? I think people are going to opt in and I, I wouldn't be surprised if psychedelics was going to be, is going to be sold at dispensaries, yep. you know, um, cause they're doing capsules now, you know what I mean? So I think slowly, yes. but surely they're getting introduced and, you know what I mean? I mean, there's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing that doesn't harm anybody. It's not like you're going to take a psychedelic and go crazy, right? Absolutely. You're gonna take a psychedelic and you're going to laugh at everything and Bro, you know, it was enjoy great. life and, and appreciate the earth. You know yeah. what I mean? So <laughs> For Halloween, I got to take a couple of pills because I used to take so many mushrooms. Travis can attest. I used to have an, Quite it, was, a bit. it was magnet. I had a, about a, an ounce on a magnet and it was on our refrigerator and uh, <laughs> people used to just come over. But anyway, um, uh, I took a couple of caps. I could no longer, I can't take the, I can't eat the, the thing anymore. I gotta oh. have it in the pill form. Sure. But anyway, I was dressed as Garfield for Halloween. And by the end of it, I became a cat. I was a cat. He was Garfield. <laughs> I was like, I'm a cat. He hated Mondays. <laughs> that definitely hated that fucking Monday. I've seen that photo, man. <laughs> um well there are there are some positive things happening and we try to you know oh, yeah. think about those as again we remember those suffering and those that we don't see um but those positive steps in the right direction you know it, it's it's nice to see because a lot of people never thought we would even be legal in our lifetime right and now of course as we're seeing uh, that seems to be the way it's going hey man and then look at man like 20 years from now we're gonna be sitting back like what was illegal coming in right. like like we're gonna be like where's the history books on this you know i think people are gonna write curriculums about like how this became legal and how we got all these people out of prison i mean we're in the midst mm. of history like yeah. no doubt you know what i mean i think we're in the midst of history i think when we get older and we just chilling and i believe we're gonna sit back and think about like what we were doing as a society we were yeah. giving people life in prison for cannabis we were giving people 25 30 years for cannabis and mm-hmm. now it's getting sold in walgreens and rite aid because it's federally yeah. legal Right. Like what were we really doing? Sometimes you got to realize that they were wrong. And I think once, and people hate doing that, but you know, everybody, no one's perfect, not even our society. So they'll, they'll get it together. We're hopefully. 50, <laughs> we're 50 years into the war on drugs, which obviously it has, you know, winded down a little yeah. bit. Um, but do you ever think we're going to have, I really hope there needs to be a uh, come to Jesus moment. I mean, with Nixon, I mean, this all starts in the 70s, right? Mm -hmm. Nixon is the one who started all this bullshit for obvious racist reasons. I think one of the worst things we could do as a country is say, well, that happened. And then just be like, thank God that's over and move on. Not that we have to stay here and fight and be angry, but there does need to be some... um, reconciliation you know when it comes to what we've done and and do you have any insight into how can we do that um as many people again are already have already passed away that were you know involved in the war on drugs and some are still in prison many you see you see you see nixon i mean you know the 70s i mean they got to realize that you didn't have any research you guys are just making things up you know i mean and now you look at 2021 now you realize like oh they were wrong they were 50 years wrong right you know what i mean and i think i think every year i think we have to advance as a society if we don't advance as a society how are we going to change anything you know what i mean and i think it was a lot of advancement that happened within those 50 years where it's like oh well, this drug isn't as bad as we thought it was you know matter of fact it's, it has medical benefits matter of fact it's like saving people because people are overdosing and now we're going to sub it with cannabis so i think i think as they're slowly coming to reality coming to reality lane they'll be like oh well well you're right it's 50 years ago it was bad but you know 50 mm-hmm. years now 
um, 50 years now, it's, it, it's crazy, you know? So, and of course, when it comes to, you know, the real drugs that kill people, um, Oxycontin, mm -hmm. uh, all of these horrible opioids that was created. What was it? The Sackler family, right. uh, the Sackler family in Purdue. And there's no charges there. There's, there's nothing happening to these people who, who they're peddled. Immune. They got immunity. From they're, they're immune yeah. from, from a prosecution. Wow. Amazing. But you know, you look at 65,000 people dead a year mm -hmm. because of opioids. And it just goes to show you that when it comes to money and making money, it can really blind people. And it just, you know, it's just really sad that it's taken us this long to get to a point where we're like, yeah, weed's fine. Opioids might be a small problem, though. <laughs> exactly. Opioids. Now people are realizing. And then also, like, if you look at the history, right, the 1930s, like, uh, alcohol became legal. And it was like, oh, well, we got to go to reefer madness. And then they went that reefer madness route and everybody was like, cannabis is killing people they're raping our women they're, they're murdering people and then they they brought this doctor on stage and he told i mean not even a doctor right they brought this guy the dea guy anslinger and he just got on stage man and he kind of just made up some stuff and they went with it and then that's when they did that crackdown like boom but then now like you got to realize like that stuff was false false testimony man and they got to yeah uh, all those people, you could you can only imagine how many people. This is deep too, right? And I know you guys are a deep podcast, but you only can imagine how many people probably got accused of murder because they took cannabis and probably never committed a crime and they got executed because oh the, yeah. there was there there was poor DNA research in the 1930s. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so I it's like, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they caught the little guy, man, and it was like, man, we'll go ahead and hang this guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we're not even talking about like literally moose, but you know, hanging the guy as in like, oh, we're going to give him life. You know what I mean? Right. Because he was doing cannabis and doing other legal crimes, allegedly. So it's so it's the history is fucked up. You know? And, you know, for anyone who thinks that's, you know, a uh, far fetched or anything, and not that I think anyone does, but you look at Philando Castile, of mm -hmm. course, in, mm -hmm. uh, in Minnesota, when he was shot, the officer said, well, he smelled like the me, and there was a yeah. child in the car. So I thought he might kill me. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of reefer madness, ironically, hangover mm -hmm. is still very present today and uh you know because philando castile was just what two years ago right when facebook streamed yeah. that and that was 2016 yeah, that's was it 2016 anyway and shout out to those states man shout out to some states that's getting away with that probable cause like it smells like weed in the car or you know just like yeah. that or minor traffic violence. i mean these guys i mean I, I i'm glad to see people advance you know it's really do. yeah geronimo yanos that was the officer um i guess just oh. lastly speaking of that um, what do you, you know, qualified immunity? That's something that we've talked about quite a bit. Of course, qualified immunity allowing basically allows officers to, they have a license to kill, but they're not sexy like James Bond. Um, I don't really want to see them <laughs> in a sexual situation like I would Daniel. Craig. Um, but when it comes to qualified immunity, the Supreme Court just up, upheld it. Right. Mm -hmm, yeah. And uh, so how important to you is or how important is getting rid of qualified immunity and when it comes to these officers actually being you know held accountable yeah no i think everyone should be everybody's human just because you took an oath to protect the community you have to live up to that oath you can't be out mm -hmm. here terrorizing the community mm -hmm. you know when you're an officer in my opinion you're saying that you're going to put your life on the line for others you know not go take lives you know what i mean i think the the last resort is to kill someone you know what I mean? And uh, 
I think everybody needs to be accountable for the action. I don't think anybody has ultimate immunity over everybody just because you carry a gun and a badge. I think if you come outside and you do wrong, you need to be held accountable because they're human just like we're human. They bleed like we bleed. You know what I mean? And I think there has to be very, very high, you know, de-escalating training and mm-hmm. really training. Training is like the real key. I feel like these these guys need, uh, these officers really need because uh, I was talking to, I was talking to a district attorney the other day and he was telling me that, you know, a lot of these chief of police and a lot of these district attorneys that get elected, they grow up in these neighborhoods where they don't see many minorities. So when right. they finally see them in the courtroom, they don't understand them. You know, if an officer finally gets to interact with him, they get assigned to a district that's heavy on crime, which is usually minorities, because a lot of minorities are on welfare, social security, and et cetera. They'll go patrol those areas, but they're not used to those people. They don't understand why they're outside. They don't understand, you know, why these kids are wandering around and, and, and why they're poor, because they only have one, they only have one mind, and it's either middle class or upper class, and, right. you know, very low percentage of lower class. So um, I, I, I talk about that because, a lot of people think they're just full immunity because of where they come from. You know what I mean? I think it's, it's personal, you know? Um, but once people start to relate and put, start putting themselves in other people's shoes, I think that's when we advance, you know? Um, but as, as, like I said, man, no, everybody should be held accountable for their actions because there's, you know, for every action, there's a consequence. Of course, that was the, and still is the problem in Minneapolis. The vast majority of police mm-hmm. don't live in the areas. Right. And, you know, it's just hard. Um, anyway, Travis exactly. or Fernando, do you guys have any final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, um, Dante and... Well, in 2021, you know, election season, we did see some ballot initiatives pass. Obviously, the the uh, the magic mushrooms that Ben was talking about. <laughs> um, but, you know, then also Minneapolis um, voted to not direct some of their city funds to something more of a public safety department. Is there anything on your radar, Last Prisoner Project's radar for 2022 criminal justice reforms that you're looking at um, from state to state? Anything we should keep our eyes on? Yeah, I think Q1, we're just going to amplify our, our messages in the dispensaries. I think we really awesome. realize that, um, you know, partnering with these big multi-state operators, the reach is uh, humongous. Um, we're talking about like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dispensaries we're partnering with. Um, yes, awesome. But those are vo- those are voters that walk in. Absolutely. You know, everybody that walks Absolutely. in. That, that buys that cannabis product. It should be a voting booth as well. <laughs> Dude, why not? Would, no, that no, would, it go vote at your local dispensary. That is so genius. Go vote at your local dispensary, and then they'll inform you about what you're voting for as far as the cannabis legislation. Yeah. There you right? go. They check oh your ID. God. I mean, how's why the, not? They, you can't do fraud. Sure, <laughs> that's true. I would have some wacky write-in decisions. <laughs> that today, is true. Though. I would. It is possible. Some of those. Yeah, it is. All possible. right, reserves for the last uh, podcast on the left. It's later, but. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a question about, I, I just want to ask you your thoughts on like the future, Dante. So for example, yeah. if we legalized every drug, but didn't fix economic situations, we didn't do reparations, we didn't mm-hmm. equalize the playing field, would something change? Or do we have to, you know, because housing is the issue where, where, where cops live and the communities where they work is an issue. Everything's related. Can it be done by just legalizing drugs, or do you think we have to address reparations? We have to address economics. And I suppose how to do that as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Fix, fix think... the world's problems, Dante. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, oh, yeah. Let's, let's turn it to the Avengers. Let's do it. <laughs> no, literally, I, you have to adjust respirations. I mean, you can't sit here. If you think the majority of everybody that owns these big, giant MSOs 
it's all Caucasian people. You know, it's all people mm-hmm. that don't look like you look at the board of directors, you know, no one's a minority in a sense. Um, and it's because you come from money. So you think you have the ability to buy and just say, I'm gonna buy that license or I'm gonna pay, I'm gonna pay all these lobbyists nigga to go out there and, and uh, get get make it legal, and so I can have the forefront in the industry. Mm-hmm. But I, I I I had a, I had a meeting with these guys out in Arkansas, and I said, you know, if you guys are gonna go lobby, you know, to make this cannabis legal in this state, you guys need to lobby to let these prisoners free. Yes. You know, the same energy you put to go make this multi-state, you know, this multi-state business, you need to take that same energy on on, on keeping people out of prison for cannabis. You know what I mean? And then also trying to help them give an opportunity. The, the, the unfortunate thing is once you guys get these guys out of prison for cannabis, they still got to do three years of parole. You know, then once they get mm, done with parole, they have the to record. get exonerated from the record, right? They have to get expunged. And then after that, after parole, they have to go get their record clear. And by that time, it's four years into the industry and people already own, you know, you're now you're a mom and pop shop and you're going to get bought out anyway, mm. you know, because you can't compete, you know, with, with the amount of cash, to, the amount of capital these guys got. So, you definitely have to give respiration. You definitely got to give social equi- equity people a chance. Absolutely. You definitely got to give people a chance in the industry to be successful. Because if you really look at the history of racism, you'd be like, people were taking land from people. You know, people mm-hmm. were taking things right. from people just because they could, you know. And I think well, we talked about that recently with Brian Beach. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, oh, in California, the state gave it back, and now thankfully the state has yeah. to pay the family <laughs> rent, <laughs> which is like amazing, sweet justice. I love that idea. Um, yeah, they're gonna be paying a lot of rent. They don't let people be owners in this industry. I'd say, <laughs> yeah, as they should. Yeah, because um, yeah, that is the absolute key: is give back to the communities that were most devastated by the war on drugs, and uh, then we can all just be high and or not high, whatever you want to do. It's just about choice, right? Uh, that is yeah, the most but- important thing. We live in life, man. We elevated move, man. We got to make sure that people recognize, man, the gray areas. A lot of people just go through my life just like stomp, 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 gimme, gimme, gimme. Mm-hmm. But we need to sit back and realize who we stopping and who we taking from, you know. Yep. And once we do, once we do that, you know, we'll have a, I think we'll have more of a clear understanding on what's equality and, and especially in the industry of cannabis, psychedelics and shit life. I'm not a religious man, but when it comes to the seven deadly sins, greed is definitely uh, definitely proving itself to hold its own in that category. That is for sure, because I think greed is a real epidemic in American culture, starting in the 80s. And and, and, and it's crazy, man, with greed, it goes unnoticeable. Like you don't even know you're like, it's I'm rewarded. Right now. It's, it's rewarded. Yeah. Greed is it's, rewarded. It's, it's like, in that's the best thing. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. saying no one yeah. should be Gordon rich Gordon Gecko. Greed is good. Greed is good. But yeah. you know, you got to give back. That's all that, you know, yeah, that's what you have to do. You got to give back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Dante West, check out the documentary. Please come back on when the story of Dante West, oh, the documentary man. comes you know, out, please come on and we will uh, promote it and we'll try to get as many eyeballs on it as possible. Man, Ben, you guys, man, you guys bring awareness to everybody equal. And I will come back a thousand times on the show, man, and talk about anything with you guys. You guys got the most fantastic energy, man. I really appreciate all you guys doing the last prisoner project. You guys did a fantastic fundraise. We appreciate you. You know, a lot of people talk about the cause, but you guys are just like all action. Like, man, this is what we're going to do and we're going to go do it. And and, and that's amazing, man. One thing I can say, man, last prisoner project really loves you guys, loves everything you guys stand for. And you oh, guys have thousands of inmates every year. Real talk, not even no capping, you know. So 
We really appreciate you guys, man. And, hey, yeah. next time you guys go out on tour, man, you guys got to give me the microphone, man. I'm ready, man. I know you guys are all over <laughs> If we do Top Hat Live, absolutely. And of course, yeah. uh, nothing is uh, to be done for uh, self-aggrandizement. This is all about the people yeah. who are suffering right. behind bars mm-hmm. and, uh, and families that are that are suffering. We have to help yeah, people that, That's out. what we want to do. Highlight the people that can't speak for themselves. Absolutely. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Dante absolutely. West. Dante West, everyone. Check out the documentary soon to be the story of Dante West. Appreciate y'all, man. All right, everyone. There it was, our conversation with Dante West. Hope y'all enjoyed it and hope you enjoyed this episode. This is the only one this week, so perhaps it was a little bit longer, but uh, thanks for sticking with us and thanks so much for supporting us. We're beating a lot of pieces of shit mm-hmm. um, and it's yeah. really cool, man. It's, it's really nice and obviously in February, we're going to go wide on all Woo. platforms so, uh, you know, we can get the uh, get the word out. Yep. And uh, yeah, if you feel compelled, please tell people about the show. I know the first thing they ask is, is it right? Is it left? And um, it's a hard question to answer. <laughs> independent. <laughs> independent. The majority of Americans, voters especially, they're independent. Well, and- like we said on yesterday or last week's episode, you know, the left wing and the right wing, we're just in the center of the plane trying to make sure these wings don't fall off. Stuck in the middle with you. That's it. Um, I want to throw it to the, the program that Dante talked about during the interview, yes. the letter writing program. Uh, I'm a huge advocate for writing to, to people that are incarcerated yeah. and what you did is the right way to do it, Ben. Just give them hope, you know, talk about your day because it's the same thing for them every day in there. So you talking about your life, you yeah. know, gives them levity. And I did ask that question because it is, I'm yeah. not, it's hard to know. Yeah. Yeah. What, what just sounds like super rude. Exactly. You know, but, and get a feel for them. Tell them what do you want to talk about? You yeah. know? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, all right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for supporting the show. Hail yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated.